0: The following sermon was delivered by Associate Pastor Werner Ramirez during morning worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith every Sunday on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. And now, here is Reverend Ramirez.
1: Holy Spirit,
0: may you speak to our hearts.
1: May you speak to our minds, may you speak to our souls. Remove me if you need to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our scripture reading today comes from 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel.
2: Samuel, Samuel.
1: And he said, Here I am. And ran to Eli and
2: said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. The
1: Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said,
2: Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the
1: Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said,
2: Here I am, for you called me.
1: Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel,
2: Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So
1: Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there calling as before.
2: Samuel, Samuel.
1: And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel,
2: See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house, from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated by sacrifice or offering forever.
1: Samuel lay there until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli, but Eli, Eli called Samuel and
2: said, Samuel, my son, he said. Here I am, Eli said. What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you.
1: So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then he said,
2: It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And
1: Samuel grew up. The Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear to Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. I knew that I wanted to go into ministry when I was about 13 years old. I was in eighth grade. I remember there were nights I had trouble falling asleep and crying about some odd theological concepts of demons. And I remember talking with my parents and them reassuring me about God's love. And randomly I said to them, I want to be a pastor. It actually kind of shocked me when I said it, but I just kind of ran with it. And I wasn't shy about telling people at school that I wanted to be a pastor when I grew up. So when I told my 8th grade crush that I wanted to be a pastor, she asked, does that mean you can never get married? I quickly responded, no, 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 I'm a Presbyterian, I can definitely get married. (laughs) Yet as 8th grade continued, I began to question that call. Before wanting to be a pastor, I had a variety of things I wanted to be when I grew up. A professional soccer player, a skateboard entrepreneur, and even a barber. And all those dreams would eventually fall and move to another dream. So I began to wonder, is this just another one of those dreams that would eventually fade? Now, the summer before my freshman year of high school, my youth group went to a very typical Christian youth conference. And I had a blast. I had a good time with my friends. The food was good. The bands were great. But there was one night that specifically changed my life. On that night, the speaker asked everyone to stand up, put their hands in the air, and to shout, I'll go. And everybody did. And like a typical teenager, I didn't want to be left out, so I stood up and did the same thing. But when I did that, and I closed my eyes, I saw an image of Jesus sitting on a throne. And it scared me. It scared me so much that I opened my eyes. And all I could see was a thousand teenagers going like this. But then I closed my eyes again. And there was the image of Jesus sitting on a throne. And then God spoke to me. Not with audible words from the heavens, but with direct words implanted in my head. I can't explain how it happened. But God said, yes, Warner, I'm calling you to be a pastor. And you're going to be a good one. And then the image disappeared, and I cried like a baby. Now here's the thing. Almost everything I did after that moment was with the end game in mind of becoming a pastor. I became even more involved with my youth group. I joined the Christian clubs at school, and I even attempted to start a Christian punk rock band. We literally tried to punk up worship and hymns. We never made it out of the garage. In that moment, everything I did, I thought I was doing it with the future in mind. Yet when I look back and reflect, I was doing ministry as a high school student. No, I was not an ordained pastor, but that did not matter. I was listening to God, and God placed people in my life to walk alongside of me. It was the volunteers at youth group that truly empowered me in the ministry when I was a high school student. It was my pastors back home that let me, a 20-year-old college student, preach in big church. They put me in places to lead, and at times I failed, and at times I did well. Now, I tell you my story, my calling to ministry story, not so you can say, oh, look, he did it. He set out for what he was called to do. No, I tell you this story because I know that God is still speaking to and through teenagers. And it is time that we listen. In the passage that we just read, we see young Samuel, the prophet who would later anoint David as king. And Samuel is trying to sleep. And Samuel essentially lives at the church. Why do you ask? Well, Samuel's mother, Hannah. Hannah was barren. And being barren in that time came with so much baggage. People thought she was a terrible sinner because she could not have children. So she prays and prays for a son. And the Lord responds. And the Lord gives her a son and named him Samuel, which means God has heard. And Hannah promised if she had a son that she would give him to the house of the Lord. So Samuel grows up in the church. Samuel grows up with the priest Eli. And they're both trying to sleep and God interrupts and calls Samuel by name. And Samuel thinks that it's Eli trying to wake him up and get his attention. And as you saw, Eli said, it's not me. Go back to bed. I am trying to sleep. But then yet Eli sees that the Lord is the one that is calling Samuel. Something divine. So he instructs Samuel on how to listen. And God speaks to Samuel. And God says to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hear of it tingle. And unfortunately for Eli, this comes with some bad news for him and his family, as his sons are completely corrupt and wicked. Yet the God of the universe, the creator of all things, speaks to this young person at a time when the word of God was rare. And God chooses to speak to young Samuel about God's plan. Again, I think God is still in the business of speaking to young people like our teenagers. What would happen if we listen? About a year and a half ago, the youth group and I applied for a $15,000 grant through Princeton Theological Seminary to try to come up with a different way of doing youth ministry here. And this process had to be done alongside our youth. It couldn't be done simply by adults. So we formed a team. And a few months later, we found out that we actually got the grant. And we knew that the next year would be filled with many meetings of things we could dream of. And this included an inventory of how this church has been innovative in the past. And as we found out, there was a lot of things this church has done. For instance, did you know that in 1827, The idea of the American Sunday School started in this congregation with a woman named Joanne Bethune. And innovative for its time, did you know that in 1956, Reverend John Hall began the first Dial a Prayer hotline? This church had a history of innovation and it inspired us to become innovative too. Yet before we can even dream of anything we wanted to do, we needed to identify a problem. We did some research and we felt that one of the biggest problems facing youth and children in New York City is the pressure to be perfect. For instance, a seventh grader is working incredibly hard, competing with their peers so that in eighth grade they will stand out so they make it into the perfect high school. They have to apply for both public and private high schools. That means the perfect grades, the perfect test scores, the perfect extracurricular activities, all so that they can stand out. Now, this pressure in New York City starts early. My wife, April, and I were talking to a young couple who hired a tutor for their three-year-old to get into that perfect preschool. And the tutor told them, your child will not make it in this preschool. He cannot pay attention for more than 30 minutes. He's a three-year-old. I'm 33, and I can't pay attention for more than 30 minutes. Why do you think my sermons are typically short? Yet this pressure to be perfect has come with a consequence to our youth. They state how they are so overprogrammed and they don't know what rest looks like or feels like. This has led to a huge amount of anxiety and stress. In fact, one of our students told a story of her friend whose anxiety over schoolwork was too much for her. Eventually, she began to take it out on herself both emotionally and physically, the pressure had become too much. So what were we to do? What kind of innovative youth ministry could we design to help address this issue? We sat as a team, and our biggest dream was to turn the seventh-floor rooftop into a garden space. We thought, what if we planted a garden up there and used the food that we grew for Meals on Heels or other organizations? What if people who tended the garden were both young and not so young? And together, we worked. Now, how does this address the problems that we identified? Don't worry. I'll get there. What you need to know is that we absolutely loved this idea, both the adults in the group and the youth. We couldn't wait to get started. In fact, Shayla, one of our adult volunteers, started to draw up mock-up drafts, and we were so excited for this. And this past June, five of us, three youth, And another adult and myself went down to Princeton Seminary for a design lab. We joined the other 12 churches who received this grant, and we worked on our projects together. Yet the week started with a worship service. We read the passage that we read today, and the preacher asked the youth to listen for the voice of God. And the preacher asked the adults to listen to the youth. We got to work And we began our plans on this wonderful rooftop garden. And we knew that we had to come up with something good because there would be a lot of people we'd need to convince once we got back here. And we began to work, and then God spoke to our youth. Will Seitzma, who just graduated from eighth grade, pointed out to us that although the rooftop farm idea was really cool, we were ignoring the problems we addressed months ago. We listened to Will and then to Olivia Lefsey and Jacqueline Lefsey. And it became clear to us that we could no longer do this garden. So what did we come up with? Well, for that, I would like for you to hear from Will Seitzma about the Companion Project.
3: Thanks, Werner. The Companion Project is an idea that the Log College team came up with to address the devastating issue of teen anxiety and perfectionism in our area. Nine FAPC members, including myself and Warner, have spent over a year as a team choosing which issue to face with the grant money we had received, as well as how to face it. In the end, we found that perfectionism is an issue that most teens face at some point in their lives. For many teens, perfectionism can turn to anxiety, depression, and in some cases, even self-harm. After identifying perfectionism as the problem we wanted to address, we began to develop an idea. Through the Law College project design process, our idea changed and evolved. Going to the week at Princeton, it seemed as if everyone had their minds set on another idea, as Warner mentioned, which was the rooftop garden idea. The idea had been quick to sprout, no pun intended, and even before we uh, began the process. And we had uh, all this confidence. There were a few logistical issues, but we felt that our confidence could get us through them. As As we received word that we had won the grant, our idea was good to go, and we even had a clever name for it. I don't quite know what had changed, but on the third day of the retreat at Princeton, when it was time to pick our project, I just didn't feel right about this idea. So when Jacqueline Werner and I sat down for the first activity that day, I mentioned that we might want to try out our our other idea, which is the companion project idea, just for this one activity, and that's what we did. I guess they were having their doubts too, because when we told Shayla and Olivia, the other group, that it might be time to drop the garden idea, they too agreed. We just couldn't do the great work we were about to do using that idea. A rooftop garden would not have done, uh, made the impact that we needed. We needed to make more of change in our teens' lives. We were able to let that idea die on the compost when we went to the seminary garden that night to dispose of our dead ideas. Originally, we wanted to call this a mentorship program. However, now we feel that the word mentor has too much pressure behind it. Our goal is not for our teens to get advanced uh, academic success or a career coach, but for our teens to get a chance to rest and unwind, to get support. The companion project is a multi-generational program that will pair up a teen with an adult whom they can uh, confide in without fear of judgment or humiliation. Oftentimes, it's hard for uh, teens to tell their peers what they are going through because they are afraid that the person will tell uh, others or think of them differently. Teens often don't want to go to their parents out of fear of getting in trouble. When we discussed these issues, all of us agreed that sometimes parents just want to fix the problem at hand. While they do mean well, it's not what teens need. Teens just need someone to listen. Our plan is to kick off the companion project by having group activities and icebreakers so that teens and adults can get to know each other and develop some trust also so parents feel safe leaving their teen with their companion. We will use online surveys to pair up teens and their companions based on hobbies, interests, and also geographical location. With the help of the Log College team, especially the teens involved in this process, including myself, Werner will oversee the program to make sure everyone involved is getting a positive experience out of it. Word on the street is, we might even go see a Broadway show, but you didn't hear that from me. (laughs) This is not a problem that can be completely conquered by nine people. However, we hope that the Companion Project, Fifth Avenue members, and Fifth Avenue members can come together uh, to make a difference in as many teams' lives as possible. I'm hopeful that through the work of our team, the uh, work of our companions, and the work of the Holy Spirit, we can truly make an impact on as many teens' lives as possible that participate in this program. Thank you.
1: Friends, those five days at Princeton taught me that I was no longer Samuel. I am no longer that 13-year-old boy. I am now Eli needing to listen and respond to what God has said to our young people, to our Samuels. I am now the priest who walks alongside our youth and what God is calling them to do. And friends, we wanted that garden so bad. I wanted that garden really bad. But I needed to listen to what God was telling our youth. And we grieved the idea of the garden. It was hard to let it go. In fact, we drew up pictures of the garden and went to the seminary's farm, the farminary, and threw those pictures into the compost pile. We literally composted the idea of a garden. But like all compost, something else will resurrect from it something good and life giving. And for us, that will be the companion project. And I can't tell you how proud I am of these students and the way they listened to the voice of God and then acted. But my question to you, my question to you adults, is what if we did this more often? What if we acknowledged more that God is speaking to our young people and telling us truth that we need to hear? Samuel had stuff that Eli needed to hear. These youth had things that I needed to hear. These youth have things that we need to hear. What if God is talking to them about issues that are facing our church and this country? What if God is telling us that we have some ideas that we need to compost so that something else can resurrect? We've seen youth speak up about gun violence and told us that we need to compost our weapons and policies that are killing people. We have seen our youth speak up about having places where all people can belong. Friends, God is speaking to them. They are prophets among us. Will we listen? And to our youth, know that big things are ahead for you. You are not just the future of this church, but you are the church of the here and the now. May you be empowered. May you have the ears to hear what God is saying. May you have the eyes to see what God is doing. And you have the heart to work with God for what God is calling you. Just like God called Samuel, God is calling you. Amen. Friends, every time we have youth group, I, I tell the youth group, if you remember one thing that I say to you, I want you to remember that you are loved and that you are enough. Through the grace of Jesus Christ, you are loved and you are enough. And I try to sneak that in here whenever I can. But today I wanted to hear it. I want you all to hear it from well.
3: Friends, remember that you are loved and you're enough. Go in peace. Amen.
0: We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and provided a message of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you are in New York City, we invite you to visit our historic church and join us for worship. You will find our address, worship calendar, and other information on our website. Fapc.org. If you would like to help support this audio ministry, please text the dollar amount of your gift, followed by the word Sermons, to 646-491-8331. Again, that is the amount of your gift, followed by the word Sermons, to 646-491-8331. Thank you.